Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's a different program today. Two penguin authors, but different as chalk and cheese. Liam Pear Piper writes with humour about his eventful life in Mistakes Were Made. Now this is one of those penguin specials designed to be read in a single sitting. The last time I chatted with Liam Piper, it was about his successful business venture at 14 years of age. But this business venture and perhaps even uh, Liam was rather ruined by his mid-twenties, but already he had a most eventful early life. Liam, just remind listeners about the title of that book. That book is the feel-good hit of the year. So when you're talking hit, you're not talking musicals, are you? No, that's a less than clever wordplay on <laughs> on the book Subject Matter, which is a, a memoir of my upbringing in a non-conformist household and descent into some sort of life near do-wellery and gradual redemption. The hit is a less than subtle drug reference. So this new book and its title, Mistakes Were Made. Are these new mistakes? They are. (laughs) Isn't it great to have so much to write about? I know. Luckily, I'm an endless uh, resource of foibles. Um, So I thought it would be perhaps reflecting on that time, but no, you've gone on to tell us about further non-drug-related events that have complicated your life. Well, first of all, the book... The book matches with the second of the stories, the short stories in this collection, mm-hmm. because it connects. It's it's about the publicity you received after the book, and you became a celebrity. Huh, for a minute. A celebrity <laughs> is a strong word, but I did get a lot of uh, press attention. You did, but they weren't actually looking at the quality of your writing, were they? No. No, well... um. I guess it was a little bit scandalous uh, what the book was about, being, you know, the Drugs. memoirs of a young drug yeah. dealer. And I didn't really think that through when I wrote it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was on radio programs across the nation and on television kind of mumbling inarticulately trying to justify uh, the life that I'd led. Um, yeah, obviously, that's a great angle for, for the media, you know, yeah. scandalous. But, you know, I was there. I was kind of expecting this headline, all the headlines about me to read, shiny genius writer writes genius <laughs> book, where they came across as something quite different. Yeah. But a book is a book, and if you're the author, as with every other author I know, what you, what you want to do is you want to go into a bookshop, a bookshop mm-hmm. and find the book and, of course, make sure that the cover is paramount, you know, for, for people to buy it. Mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of people buying your book? Yeah, it did, it did quite well, you know. Um, for a while, you know, for that glorious couple of weeks after it first came out, uh, I had uh, I had a lot of friends texting me, people reading it on the tram and the bus and whatnot. Good. I've never actually spotted one in the wild, but, oh. you know, I kept a pretty low profile for the first couple of weeks. Now, low profile, you um quoting here that you actually describe yourself as rather shifty looking. So mm. when you're actually going into some of the big these bookstores, this is a quote from uh, the short story. When you walked into a bookshop, they would send the kid on the register out to pretend to mop the floor nearby to make sure you're not shoplifting. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh, that's a bit harsh. Well, no, I mean, that's that's quite true. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's a slight exaggeration. More Less so since I stopped dressing uh, in FUBU tracksuits. Ah, yes. But... Um, yeah, I still uh, I had, don't have what you'd call a trustworthy face. So in this short story, as with all of these short stories, we have a bit of a twist and uh, a new revelation about um, um, Liam Piper. There's a photo on, your, on the book. There's your bio about your previous occupation. And this caused a few problems getting into America. Yes. <laughs> well, um, a couple, the first couple of, well, the second and third essays of the book, of mistakes were made. Um, it deals with my not being able to handle the attention I was receiving from the media and deciding to flee the country. I had an offer to go to America and go on an adventure there. Um, what I didn't think about was that I was in the middle of a press junket about being a drug dealer. And America doesn't <laughs> take kindly to the, them folks around there. And we're going to finish it there because it's got a good ending. Mm-hmm. Now... America, a new culture, but wherever racism raises its head, it's extremely ugly. And the short story, Unbearable Whiteness of Being, you write about your own background at a high school camp and you were the one that didn't want to climb Uluru. Mm. Yes, I'd like to say I was was moral fortitude, but it was only partly that and partly uh, laziness. I was a chubby (laughs) kid. Um, Yeah, that that, that essay... um, which again ties into my adventures in America and seeing how race is dealt with there, which is particularly interesting at the moment, seeing as what's happening in Baltimore mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, that story, I, I tried to deal with kind of this nascent racism that everyone has, and I'm, you know, I'm a lefty, you know, I'm, I'm pink and left of Canada, but <laughs> even so, of course, I have nascent racisms that I grew up that are part of my culture, that, and so. I find it quite disturbing that, uh, you know, we don't evaluate that kind of thing. You know, we don't really think about that part of our identity. And, um, you know, people who are espousedly not racist, not, I'm not saying people who say I'm not racist but because mm. that often precipitates a very racist thing. I mean, um, racism seems to be, you know, I think it's a trickle-down effect from maybe what's happening in the top levels of politics at the moment, but it seems to be a common kind of binding element of our society, which disturbs me. It's kind of a crazy glue of social interaction. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I often have people try and strike up conversations on public transport with, you know, by just saying something racist, which baffles me. It's like a kid sharing lollies, like, here, have some racism. Oh, right. So this essay tries to deal with that a little bit. It, It does, but it also brings in a whole different cultural aspect that, America has that we don't, mm-hmm. which is tipping. Tipping. And it, it, when there's this beautiful black woman who opens the lift for for this young white man, mm-hmm. it's it's this whole quandary of racism and the subculture of tipping. Yes. <laughs> and you've got to read it to actually meld the two, mm. but very, very clever. Thank very, you. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, a small meltdown of all my liberal guilts <laughs> kicking in at once, that essay is about. So all of these short stories actually do relate to your new occupation, which is uh, as an author. Yes. <laughs> occupation is a strong word, but it keeps me busy. And that's mm. why you're in Nimbin. Mm-hmm. And I like this. Uh, you are writing a magazine article to establish you as a proper grown-up writer. Mm-hmm. 
But once again, the life choices in Nimbin. Mm-hmm. Good reading. <laughs> Thank you kindly. Um, I think what I really enjoyed about your reading, um, and I'm speaking with Lion Piper, is uh, your ability to look at a stereotype, flesh it out, and then give it a new slant. Now, we had up at Nimbin, we had Sandy, the middle-aged hippie, who also saw herself as a writer. Mm-hmm. Now, did you spend time speaking with her? Yes. I mean, that's a very <laughs> that's a very cruel character now that I think about it. But writing is something that, um, I mean, many people do it. You know, many people pursue it as a hobby or as a craft or, you know, with uh, aspirations to... Uh, to be published, to be authors, um, which I encourage. It's a lovely oh. thing to do, you know. It's a, it's a great way to get to know yourself. It's a great way to, to think and to learn and, and to help the world. It's, it is also very hard and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a struggle every day, at least for me. Mm. Um, so it's always like a kind of a, a... There's a moment of dread whenever someone says, oh, I'm a writer too. Yes, well, your moment of dread had you running from her. Yes. But you also met her psychic. And uh, the psychic did the tarot cards. And the tarot card that fell from the pack features on the front cover of Mistakes Were Made. And what tarot card was that? That would be death. That would be death, yes. But she also tells you you're going to have travelling companions in life, good Mm -hmm. and bad. And they gave you the story that any reader's going to go, Oh, my goodness, to the mm. startling end. The fourth story in um, the book is called Idiot Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey does sound like an idiot, but Jeffrey is a... He's a beagle door, oh. a half beagle, half Labrador. Oh, golly. I can't believe... You know, you, you read these things that this dog would do, and I think, no, nah, you couldn't have made them up. They were mm. so stupid. He was He was not a bright dog. He was lovable, though. He, he was, you know, he was... Uh, Lenny to my Carl in many ways. Am I getting that backwards? I never know. But he was a, a giant soft-hearted brute, 120 kilograms of idiocy. Um, and he was a dog that me and my partner tried to adopt in our, in our tiny northern suburban mm. townhouse. And, um, and that, he- that essay is about the... I guess that's the closest thing I'll ever get to lifestyle writing. It's about the perils and pitfalls of, uh, of trying to love a thing unconditionally when it comes with a million conditions. And that is why writers should have a spirit animal that is not a dog, but a... Cat, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Look, we're going to finish up here with um, uh, Liam Piper reading a little bit about why, well, well, from reader to writer, how it, how it came about. Absolutely. Um, this... Uh, what I'm about to read uh, is a little way into the second uh, essay in this collection called Fame! Exclamation mark. I'm going to live forever. Close parenthesis. I'd always wanted to be a writer as far back as I could remember. Before I could write, certainly before I could write well, even before I could read, I would listen to my father read me The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and know that I wanted to be part of that. Later, I worked my way through the classics, taking wisdom from the library. Every so often, I'd find a book that felt like beheading a Highlander. I would finish it and know that I'd gained something powerful to see me through life. When I should have been making friends, I was reading Camus. I read Hemingway when I should have been learning how to talk to women. 
on the road came along at precisely the wrong moment of my adolescence and fell on me like a daisy cutter, levelling any ambition to lead a valued to lead a life as a valued, productive member of society. From the middle of the canon, I examined the lives of my literary heroes, the syphilitic, alcoholic, and suicidal, but immortal, sociopaths, who had raised me and said, yes, give me some of that. That's the life for me. <laughs> Just fantastic. Now, these four essays appear in a Penguin special, mm-hmm. and they're succinct, it's, it's The Penguin special is designed to be kind of like a one-sit-down read. Mm. Um, they're a wonderful initiative. Uh, they are designed for... They're inexpensive. They're about 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, even cheaper on the Kindle version or the e-book. Um, and they're designed to just be... To really nail one idea or one point or, and just provide an entertaining read for, to, that you can keep on your pocket or in your car or whenever you need it. Um, mine is, of course... Uh, Wonderful. I, I would recommend it to anyone. But there are some other great uh, Penguin specials at the moment. Uh, a writer called Sofia Stefanovich has written one about internet dating. Um, right. And internet scams, which is just an incredible and emotive read. Tom Doig, um, a, Kiwi, a New Zealand writer who's been living here for the past decade or so, has one called The Coalface about the fires down in Morwell recently. Uh, those are yeah. Words. Look, uh, I've read a few now. Kate Richards about her madness book, and always you close the book, but the enjoyment and the musings that they set off go way beyond the book itself. And now another Penguin author. This time, Lisa Joy. Celebrity chefs. You see them on TV judging food or presenting meals in far-off places, or in the newspapers publicising their latest cookbooks or perhaps even in the restaurant where they work. And a, a chef is at the centre of Lisa Joy's book. Lisa, welcome. And what's your book called? Yes, Chef. Yes, Chef. And we're going to hear, first of all, from page 17, a description of Damien the Chef. Damien was no oil painting. He was stocky, with thick brown hair cut Lego man style just above his shoulders and even thicker eyebrows. He had the kind of arrogance that could be attractive, if you liked that sort of thing. I had to admit, he did have a twisted kind of charm, especially in front of a crowd. Now that he was on the telly, he had a huge following of women in their 40s and 50s. It was gross. They would call up and book a table, but they would only want to make the reservation if we could guarantee that Damien would be there. Right. Now, if you listen to Lisa Joy, you'd notice there was a little accent in her voice because this book is not set in Australia. Where's it set, Lisa? It's in London. London. And I don't know whether it's the same here, but in London, apparently, if you ring up to make a reservation, you don't go to the restaurant, you go to a call centre. How common is that? Well, it depends on the establishment. Um, I think for chefs that have more than one restaurant in their stable, they do. They have tried in the past having this call centre set up. It's, um, it's not always been successful. I myself have worked in that situation in the past and it does make service difficult because the staff are expected to know everything about all different restaurants and that can be up to seven restaurants in some cases as, as, is, as it is in mm. Yes Chef. Um, and it makes it um, it makes it quite difficult to know the the menus for every restaurant. Um, 
the, the staff, <laughs> what the kitchen likes. But it likes. does give you, as an author, a chance to get a whole lot of different characters into the book. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a great starting point. Um, when I first started writing Yes Chef, I knew that I would set um, the beginning scenes there in the call centre because it just created this fabulous conflict between the girls. And um, Well, now, the girls. We better mm-hmm. concentrate on one, and that could be Becca. Now, Becca uh, not only works in the call centre, but she actually works in the restaurant itself. And because Lisa Joy, the author of this book, has got such a beautiful reading voice, I'd like her to read a little bit about the restaurant and the food on offer. Okay. There's something about working with food and alcohol that makes you that extra bit frisky. A bowl of ripe red heirloom tomatoes, juices dripping from meat spinning slowly on a rotisserie, a pastry chef kneading soft, pliant dough with his hands, the Moorish scent of a souffle being drawn from the oven, the delicate fizz that plays on your eardrums as you pour a glass of champagne, or the more boisterous splash and bubble of a freshly poured glass of Italian sparkling mineral water. As a result of all this sensory overload, everyone in the industry has generally either been with someone they work with... But you get the idea that a lot of this has got stuff to do with sex. Yes, a new employee is a delight for all of the opposite sex, as well as some of the same. Fresh meat. Fresh meat. Well, that's exactly what Becca wants. She wants a romance. And she doesn't choose often particularly good men, does she? No, she's very accident-prone with all things to do with love, unfortunately, for Becca. So she dates a lot of scoundrels. Oh, scoundrels. She's even dating this one that's not ringing you back. Exactly. Mm, Now, what's his reason? Ah, (laughs) And there's one, Jonah, he wants the inside edge as a celebrity on a cooking show. So he sleeps with her to get closer to Damien. Yes, Ooh, that's true. That's a nasty one. That's true. He uses her to get closer to Damien so his career can rise. And of course, we haven't mentioned how Becca gets closer to Damien. That's from true. From the call centre, from working in the restaurant, to what job does she take on? Well, yes, yeah, she starts off taking reservations in the call centre for all his restaurants, and then she's asked to cover for his PA when she goes on holiday. But she gets a rude shock when the PA decides not to come back from holiday and ends up taking over the role. It's not a role that she would have chosen for herself. Damien is quite a demanding chef and she ends up uh, fending off his advances, his mm. sleazy advances, <laughs> and, um, and dealing with all his ridiculous demands. But um, in the end, she, she puts up with it for a lot longer than she should, to her detriment. Well, there's a bit of travel involved, and yes, Turkey's and very nice, and Italy's very nice, but this is a quote from um, the book. This is Becca, of course, talking. I was a 29-year-old woman with a language degree, and I was working in what, in what was essentially a call centre for a chef who thought he was a demigod and his go-grip, no-grip-on-reality wife. Now that wife Molly, she was <laughs> she's a piece of work <laughs> <laughs> to say it. Yes. <laughs> now it it also questions Be- Becca's whole idea about marriage, because Molly and Damien's marriage is certainly mm, quizzical, mm. and also her parents' marriage. Absolutely, she grows up. Um, 
uh, with her parents having a very happy marriage. They have their ups and downs, as, as all marriages do, but she's from a very stable home. And so she questions why, if we're all a product of our upbringings, why does she have such trouble with, lo- with love, such rubbish luck with love? Mm. And on the scene, there's this waiter at the mm. very hip restaurant, Alastratus. Yes. His name's Dean, and he gets a phone number in a very clever way. He does. It's a bit cheeky <laughs> of him, but she doesn't mind because the restaurant's very hard to get into, so yes. she'll use what she can. Well, <laughs> give me a phone number, and when there's a table free, I'll, um, I'll ring you and you can come in. Exactly. It's very smooth. But he, um, he turns out not to be a smoothie. He's a very nice guy, and it's, it's exactly what she needs, although she takes mm. her time to discover it. Yes. Well, she, there's another quote. It would have been so easy to choose the path of less resistance and so hard to choose the right one. And I just thought, mm, good quote. Well, I think it's something that um, happens to a lot of young people, certainly myself, uh, when I left high school, I could have studied, you know, lots of different things. And um, in the end, it was really about choosing the path that was right for me rather than something that I thought would impress my peers or my family. Mm. So I think these days we're often told that we should pursue our passion and follow our dreams. But what Becca struggles with is that she hasn't discovered her passion yet. So how does she find satisfaction in the jobs that she's doing until she gets there? Look. Along with this, we also, you hint about a lot of bullying that goes in the restaurant industry, you know, and, Mm. you know, and the sexism and and all of this stuff that goes on. Was it just fiction, Lisa Joy? I am always careful to maintain that Yes Chef is fiction, but I think what makes it interesting is that I've had so many different roles in so many different restaurants over the year that it does provide an authentic backdrop for Becca and and her friends and the other characters. Now, it really depends on the restaurant itself. I work for some very professional outfits that are treated like a corporate environment um, where that sort of thing doesn't go on at all. And I've worked in some where it absolutely goes on and it's quite rife. And there are bullying managers and shenanigans in mm. the, the restaurant toilets and things oh, like that. Oh dear, yeah, they all come <laughs> in. Oh, yes. And Have you ever worked at a place that has a sexual harassment Thursday? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I have. And it was a big joke. And I I owe that to a good friend of mine. She she coined that phrase. Um, And I think it was, it's just a bit of fun. It's Mm. obviously sexual harassment is, is not something to be joked about, but in a way, in the restaurant industry, you're you're often um, you're often working long hours, mm. and you're on your feet all day, and running about and dealing with demanding customers and chefs, and so you have to make a bit of fun wherever you can, and that's where the flirting comes in, and also where the the jokes like sex, sex, sex pardon me, sexual harassment Thursday come in. Well. Becca knows about men, and I love this quote once again from Lisa Joy's book, Yes Chef. Um, Men in cooking, for consistency in a man, whisk thoroughly or bring your man to the boil and simmer gently to keep him interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's from a funny scene where Becca is asked by her chef, Damien, to cook a recipe of his that's going in his new cookbook. He wants to make sure the home cook can make it, but the problem is... 
Becca doesn't cook at all. And so she ropes a friend in and they have a lot of fun cooking this recipe that's oh, yes. meant more for a high-end <laughs> chef than the average cook. Oh, that was funny. Now, terms in this book, because, you know, we're a different generation, uh, but... Um, MIA, I found out that was missing in action, and that yes. was referred to a mother. Uh, a prick pick, I <laughs> could visualise <laughs> just what that one was, yes, <laughs> with the, yes, the ability to uh, use those cameras in phones so, so well. Mm-hmm. MILF. Now that's I don't know what that one was. Oh, I'm not sure I can say that on radio. It's a bit cheeky. Okay. Well, (laughs) we'll let everybody wonder. Now you read. You can all Google it. Page twenty-one has got an (laughs) M I L F and Facebook stalking. Yes, it's, it's probably very common, although, you know, I'm not guilty of it. <laughs> I imagine so. I think Becca gets so worked up by this man who's not calling her back towards the beginning of the book. And she starts to wonder why. Well, mm. What has she done wrong when it's really nothing to do with her at all? But she does stalk him on Facebook to see if she can find pictures of a girlfriend or what he's been up to, <laughs> which is a bit sad. But. Yes, Chip. Look, it's a fabulous book. It gives us an inside into our restaurants and the people that work there. A lot of romance. But uh, in the your acknowledgements, you actually say that it's changed genre a few times. You know, you've moved it around. You've, uh, you've done a heap of drafts and you're very thankful to Fiona McIntosh. Absolutely. It's not so much that Yes Chef went through many drafts, although it did through the editorial process, but I was working on a completely different book um, in the young adult fantasy genre so totally different (laughs) totally different from romantic fiction and I'd been working on it for about four years and I was really struggling just getting getting nowhere and so I enrolled myself into Fiona McIntosh's commercial fiction masterclass that's in Adelaide and it was an eye-opener. She, yeah. really, she really encouraged, she loved hearing about my stories um, to do with the industry. Mm. And so she encouraged me to elaborate on them and write a book about them. Yeah. And I did. Well, her books are so finely crafted. You know, she does yes. do a lot of research on them. She and, does. Um, they're, they're most readable, as is yours, Lisa Joy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's definitely a mentor and something to work towards. Yeah, no, she's been in here many a time and I do enjoy chatting with her as I have with you. Look, I've been chatting with Lisa Joy about her book, Yes, Chef. It's from uh, produced, published by Michael Joseph and available for $32.99. Lisa Joy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.